0: Welcome you on this beautiful summer day. (laughs) It is uh, wonderful to worship with you. And this is a tremendous passage. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for 1 Chronicles 16, for the song, the Psalm of David. May it be our song. We thank you that it already has been in this worship service. Uh, Fill our hearts with joy, with exuberance. Help us to be deeply... And happily grateful, no matter what we're facing. In Jesus' name, amen. I read an article this week that uh, quoted a Harvard professor that was uh, uh, referred to in a TED Talk or who gave a TED Talk, and in it he said that gratitude will make you happier than winning the lottery. I'd like to say that I think most of us (laughs) would be grateful if we won the lottery, I don't think you have to separate those. But gratitude is very powerful. And our embittered, griping, cynical culture so needs right now the emphasis on giving thanks that we find in this passage. Yet, friends, it's not simply seasonal. Gratitude is biblical. And yet as we step back and consider how this theme is dealt with in our society, and it's a good thing that it is, and it is in these days, the focus is usually on how it benefits us. I've read a number of articles that that talk about how gratitude helps our, our sleep, our blood pressure, it helps us become more empathetic, and these are wonderful things. No doubt gratitude helps us to be better people. However, gratitude in Scripture isn't ultimately about the blessings that we get or even about us. No, gratitude is God-centered. It focuses on who He is, what He's done for us, what He's doing, and what He will do. It's been said that gratitude is the key to life. It is the key to our faith the key to a blessed, contented life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, it is only with gratitude that life becomes rich. And so we and our blessings are not the ultimate point of thankfulness, though that's part of it, but the Lord is. And gratitude is our response then to His grace, how we experience it, how we live into it, how we appropriate it, and how we revel in His grace. We heard here in the reading, and thank you for that, Mary Beth, uh, that this is called David's song, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name. Now this is given Chronicles 16 as a psalm of thanksgiving that is embedded in a historical book. And this section weaves together actually different psalms, portions of different psalms. Psalms 105, 96, 106. And as it pulls together these various portions, it's giving us a cluster of commands. And there are six of them actually in the first two verses. And so you find praise, rejoice, sing out. This chapter, 1 Chronicles 16, is a thesaurus, friends, of praise. It is full, and you saw that, I'm sure, as we were reading through it. It is full of intense exuberance, indicated by exclamation points at the end of every sentence in it. Now, if you've ever received a text or an email from my wife, Liz, you will know that every sentence has an exclamation point at the end. I sometimes say, maybe just use one or two, that way it makes them more powerful. No, I'm using one for every sentence. And so Liz is a First Chronicles 16 person. And this is a great letter for all of us, a great portion of the scripture for all of us. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about the context of this psalm. It's not simply a a psalm that comes without a historical setting, although we could actually read it that way. But understanding the history, a little bit of the overview of 1 Chronicles helps us really to get um, the, the feel of this and what was taking place. This was actually written, and we don't know who wrote it, but it was written sometime after Israel's return, from exile in Babylon. So around 536, the people came back under the uh, emancipation of Cyrus of Persia. The Israelis or the uh, people of Israel are back in the promised land. And so this is retelling Israel's history with this great emphasis on God's goodness to his people. Throughout this book, there is hope for the future, by emphasizing God's faithfulness in the past. And central to the book of 1 Chronicles is the temple where God came to meet His people. So it was about the rebuilding of the temple that had been destroyed. But it's also about the Messiah. The Messiah who would come in the line of David and rule over His people and bring the peace of God. So it's this very ideal picture. But it frankly didn't all add up to what it was supposed to be. There was disappointment behind all the exuberance. There were letdowns for the people of Israel. And friends, we know that our life and our faith are like that. We experience Many blessings from the Lord in this life, and hopefully we recognize those this week. From the small things like turkey, we're doing chicken, some of you have looked at me like that's blasphemy. (laughs) (laughs) Friends and families gathered around the table, freedoms that we have living in this country to worship God without threat of being thrown in jail. These are great blessings, but in the midst of those, we also face challenges and disappointments. And those challenges so often uh, threaten to swamp the boat of our remembering. Still, as we look at 1 Chronicles, it frames Israel's story, and therefore ours, in this positive way, in this triumphant way, and it is paving the way for a very, very bright future. You see, the call to praise is animated by a vision of God's work, then, but also again. And we're going to come back to this point at the end. And so it tells us glory in God's name, Sing praises to him, sing praises. And we do this, friends, not just privately, not just on our own, but with God's people. This is the place where we come in together and in other places, and we help each other lift up our voices. You see, even when we don't feel like it, this song and others like it help us to seek after God, to proclaim his name. We're going to hear a missionary report, a brief one after the service, and it's about broadcasting the good news of who God is and what He's done. And so one paraphrase says, sing to Him, play songs for Him, broadcast all His wonders, revel in His holy name. God-seekers, be jubilant, study God and His strength. Seek his presence day and night. And so this is so clearly full-throttled praise and thanksgiving at the center of this passage, but also it needs to be the center of our lives, the center of our meetings together. And friends, gratitude doesn't always come naturally to us, does it? In a way, it is a supernatural gift. And it's a spiritual discipline that that we must reclaim and put into practice. You see, we are to grow into gratitude, not just in late November, but always. And so we're going to frame the the song here with three headings. and, And there are some issues that I can't even cover because it's so rich and thick. And you heard that as we went through it but we're going to look at thanking God for keeping covenant, thanking God for reigning over the earth, and thanking God for loving us. First, thanking God for keeping covenant. Now, in verses 14 to 16, which we did not read because this is very long, (laughs) it says, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember His covenant forever. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, to Israel is an everlasting covenant. God is a God who enters into covenant with his people. He gives us his divine word. By oaths and pledges throughout the Old Testament, God swore himself to his people. You see, he bound himself to Abraham. He said, I pledge myself to you to make you my people and to be your God. And the word covenant, you know what it can actually mean, the Hebrew word? It can mean clasp or fetter. This is a God who will be bound to us. The God who will carry the weight of the covenant. And friends, God has bound Himself to you and to me in a profound, unbreakable bond that has been sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Like a friend grasping the hand of a friend or or a husband holding on to his beloved or a father holding his little child. God will remain fettered to us in Christ if we trust in Him. And therefore, 1 Chronicles says, we seek after Him because He sought after us. His devotion to us that is undying spurs our devotion to Him. Now we have to be honest. Sometimes we don't feel like being thankful. I don't always feel like being thankful. I know that some of you may come into this place emotionally worn out or or candidly feeling flat in your faith. And this then says, seek Him nevertheless. And through that, cry out, Lord, I need You. You have fettered Yourself to me like a husband to a wife. Help me to live into that and to respond to your commitment to me. In preparing for this sermon, I've been helped by a book uh, written by a pastor named Dustin Crow. It's called The Grumbler's Guide to Giving Thanks. (laughs) That's a great title. The Grumbler's Guide to Giving Thanks. And he says this, as we take this step into thanksgiving, it builds our trust in God. Here in Thanksgiving, our fears, anxiety, and worries get smaller as our view of God gets bigger. This doesn't happen because problems go away, but because we've encountered a God who in all circumstances is still good, is in control at work, providing for us and acting on our behalf. And so giving thanks fans into flame our faith while pouring water on the coals of our fears and our temptations. We rest in and lean on God as the center of our praise. Those are good words for me. Uh, Many of you know that I have a lifelong kidney disease, and as I have um, continued to walk that journey Uh, I am learning through that how to give God praise. Uh, I just met with my doctor. I actually meet with him every month for a full panel, blood test and everything. And and through that process, uh, my kidneys are at about 24% functioning. And through that, I'm really learning to be grateful and not to grumble. Um, I'm grateful for my wife's medical coverage, (laughs) Um, for the fantastic doctors I have locally and at UCLA, uh, the care of my loving family and friends, and a dear, dear church. I've mentioned before that one of my doctors said, be nice to your congregation. You never know what you might need from them. (laughs) No strings attached. I'm grateful that God continues to sustain me. But then this is what life does you kinda get used to maybe dealing with the bigger problems, you brace yourself for really difficult things, you learn how to give thanks, and then you have these weird curveballs. So here's my latest. Um, And hopefully this is not too much information, but uh, I have some dental issues because of just the way my jaw is structured and different things. And my teeth, over many decades, have been hitting each other and slowly are chipping away. Um, So I've seen some great dentists. I've seen an orthodontist. They have consulted with each other. And and there are some different options they have come up with. One dentist in San Clemente called it the nuclear option, (laughs) which is basically they would rebuild my face. And I said, I am not going to do that. Uh, Not at this stage in life. So I went to another dentist who consulted with an orthopedic, or an orthodontist, and they met, they know each other, and I've gone back, and they said, this is what we think you need to do. I mean, we can do some repairing there, bonding, but they'll just keep breaking and chipping. You need braces. Braces. (laughs) So I left the dentist's office a few weeks ago thinking, okay, I may need a new kidney soon, but braces too? Uh, and (laughs) what that is, is you know how you have that recurring dream that you got to go back to high school and, like, take the test? And um, This is weird. I may have to go back to high school. I will be the Gen Z pastor um, in the coming months if I go through with it. I'm still kind of in denial, and I'm still kind of grumbling about it. Uh, But through these big and little challenges, I and we are learning not to grumble, but to be grateful. Not only that medical things and dental care and all these different uh, blessings that we have can really repair us, but that God is good to us, that he has bound himself to us in covenant, and he pledges, friends, to carry us through. No matter what happens to us, no matter what comes our way. You see, as that writer said, giving thanks shrinks anxiety and despair eh, and frustration. (laughs) It gives us a sense of humor as God's goodness looms larger and larger. So we thank God for not being flaky, but for fettering himself to us, for being a God of covenant. And we thank God for reigning over the earth. Verse 23 says, Sing to the Lord all the earth, Tell his marvelous works among all peoples. Again, we we share this good news with each other, with our families, with our neighbors, telling others, with our missionaries, that God saves. We say, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and feared. You see, people in our culture are longing for greatness. Something that is solid, that is glorious, that it won't float away like a feather in the wind. And yet often, where do we find those things? We look for them in travel experiences, in academic and in athletic accomplishments, in our family parties. We just had one in Idaho and it was sweet, but it went so, so quickly. But verse 27 says, Splendor and majesty are found in the Lord. That's where we experience strength and joy. And notice, immediately it then moves to idols. You see, all the so called gods are worthless idols. And what this is saying is that we have this tendency to trust created things, things made by our own hands. Things that are like us. Things to which we hold on to as though they would give us life, but none of those, friends, can be our king. And yet this tells us as our faith and joy in God increase through thanksgiving, the food supply to our sin, to our ingratitude, to our idolatry gets cut off. And we don't put the pressure on the things of this world, the people in our lives, to be everything to us. We know that idols don't deliver, but God does. And this whole section is telling us that creation not only points to its creator, it actually leads us in praising him. Creation is like a choir, Let the earth tremble before him, this says. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Look at verse 31 if you have your Bible with you. Let the sea and everything in it shout and praise. Let the fields and their crops burst with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. That is amazing poetry talking about the created order leading us like a music team. You see, friends, this is a great week to tell ourselves and others, you know, humbly and graciously, that the whole notion of thanksgiving is an argument for a personal God. You see, we're not simply thankful for something, but we have this impulse to thank someone. A writer some years ago, actually somebody who, who worked at Harvard and went to Harvard, and I think he taught there, his name was Pat, is Patrick Glenn. He wrote in a book uh, a few years back that the more physicists learn about the universe, the more it looks like a put-up job. I just love that phrase, a put-up job. First Chronicles 16 says it was put here by its maker, to point to him, and to be a theater of our enjoying God. In July, Liz and I celebrated our 30th anniversary by uh, going to Kauai, and there were, you know, everywhere we went on that little island, uh, we were amazed and really felt the impact and power of this passage. We went to the the upper ridge of the Waimea Canyon, which is basically a kind of a mini Grand Canyon, as green as you can imagine. It's Kauai, Uh, and then we took a Zodiac boat with 500 horsepower and about 20 people on it and flew out to um, the Nepali coast. And I have to tell you, it's probably the most beautiful place I've ever seen. Uh, We went through these caves on this boat, and and the captain kept saying, look at the water. Doesn't it look like blue Windex? (laughs) I thought, wow. Yeah, I mean, it really did. I don't know if that's the term I use, but it looked exactly like that. And of course, as we were snorkeling, it was like a giant aquarium. Let the sea and everything in it Shout. His praise. You see, all of creation joins the chorus. And so, friends, when you're out, perhaps today or this week, walking or riding or running, you are in the theater of God's glory. John Calvin said, there is not one blade of grass, there is no color in this world that is not intended to make us rejoice. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. We sang together on Wednesday. We give thanks because God reigns over all of His beautiful creation. And we thank God most of all for loving us. And this ties it all together. Verse 34, "'Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever.'" If you've spent any time with us in this church, um, you know over the years that my favorite Hebrew word is hesed. I'm always a little careful pronouncing that in a Hebrew temple, (laughs) Jewish temple, Uh, but they know how to say it perfectly. But it means mercy, covenant faithfulness, loving kindness, loyal love. It is God's favor It is God's unbreakable commitment that flows to us from his unearned kindness. You see, it connects back to that idea of God fettering himself to us. But as one theologian has said, it takes it further. It gives us the motivation. It is God saying, yes it is, I love you. I am committed to you. I will never forsake you. You are mine and I am yours. I am your father and you are my family. And friends, this all comes back to our passage because God loves us so much that He has come into our midst to save us. The passage in verse 35 goes on to say that. Remember I said that 1 Chronicles deals with temple worship the place where God gathered His people to meet with Him. And what was in the temple? If you've read through the Old Testament or you've heard about it, well, in the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark was housed the law of God. In other words, the terms of God's covenant, what He expected from His people But the problem was the people, they and we, don't follow those terms. Don't have any other gods before me. Love me with all that you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. We have fallen short of those terms and that call. And therefore, the people's sins when they came into the temple had to be dealt with. How were they dealt with? Well, God would send a priest in with the sacrificial blood of a lamb. And the priest would take the blood, which symbolized life, of course, given in death, and he would put that on top of the mercy seat, which was on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And in doing so, that blood would cover over the sins of the people and remove those sins so that they could approach God. We heard the word propitiation today in the service from 1 John 4. That literally means mercy seated. In other words, God's wrath was turned away. God covered and forgave their sins. But that had to happen again and again and again at the ark. But Jesus has come. And so Hebrews 9 takes this imagery and says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands or the old covenant temple, which are copies of true things, but He has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. How? Through His own blood. You see, His blood mercy-seated us. And there in Him, we can meet with God face to face. And so God has removed in His mercy, in His loving kindness, He has removed our sins and not us from His presence. He has rescued us from the tyranny of self. I've always loved the way Philip Yancey has put the problem of sin, I think in a way that a lot of us here in this church could relate to. He's a writer who said in the book um, uh, Amazing Grace, my list of sins excludes many overt ones like I've heard from prisoners that I've visited. He's visited many prisoners. Drug abuse, rape, theft, disorderly conduct, violence, I feel no temptation toward those sins, and that fact offers a clue into the nature of evil. Now listen to this. It strikes at the point of greatest vulnerability. You see, I spend my days as a writer secluded in an office. A lot of us do that. Susceptible to an introvert's self-absorption, discontent. Pride and greed are internal sins that grow like mold in dark, moist corners of my psyche, nourished by slight rejections, mild paranoia, and loneliness. (laughs) Raise your hand if you agree. (laughs) You see, bitterness, friends, dissatisfaction... That occasional quiet sense of superiority can hurt our relationship with God as much as a criminal's crime. Yet our sin has been mercy-seated. It has been covered over and removed so that we will never be removed. His loving kindness has forgiven us And so this good news turns us into true worshipers knowing whom to thank. And remember that I said that this is a song of David. We heard it at the beginning, and this puts the whole thing, the whole book together. You see, 1 Chronicles is super, super positive. It leaves out the blemishes of David that 1 Samuel so bluntly recorded. And some would say it's just a whitewashing of the history of, of Israel. Some people dismiss this whole book. But friends, it's not whitewashing. It's hopeful. You see, David is not just the king who was but he was a picture of the king who could be. This is a portrait in this book of an ideal Messiah, a king in the line of David, a king who would not commit adultery with Bathsheba, who wouldn't blow his stack against his enemies like David did, who wouldn't fall into despair when he faces suffering like David sometimes did, who wouldn't be ungrateful when he could have grumbled to high heaven. You see, this talks about the Messiah King who comes to us not in a temple, but as the temple. 1 John says, and the Word became flesh, rather John 1 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God has tabernacled or templed among us. Jesus is God dwelling with you and with me you see friends the king is the priest is the lamb and this is all because he loves us so much and so let's give thanks to the lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever and jesus is that steadfast love of god Jesus' loving kindness, His affection, His faithfulness will never run out. It is exhaustive for us. It will never get exhausted. Friends, God has redeemed us to turn us into a kingdom of worshipers. First Peter says, actually, a royal priesthood. You see, it's in giving thanks that we are most happy and human. And so let's glorify God by enjoying Him and praising Him forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son to be not simply a written promise of your covenant faithfulness. your covenant love and faithfulness in person we thank you that your love is relentless that it's undying because christ died and rose for us we pray that you would turn us from grumblers into those who are grateful even when we especially when we are suffering especially when life throws us frustrating curveballs that we didn't want to have to deal with, especially when we face loss, help us to know that we will never lose you and you will never lose us. Health can be taken away, houses and other blessings, but you will never be taken from us. God, we thank you that Christ has fettered himself to us and his wounds are proof that you will never let us go. We are grateful that he is the very temple of God. It's not a building, it is Jesus. We thank you that he is the mercy seat, that his blood takes away our sins so that we won't be taken away from you, but to you forever and always. So God, this week, And for the rest of this year, help us to be full of gratitude no matter what life throws at us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.